Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. So as we study Torah today, we're in Torah portion number 8. And uh, it sounds like a new beginning to me. (laughs) And we'll take it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, However God wants to bring it into our lives. But uh, Torah portion number 8 out of Genesis 32 to 36. Uh, And today I want to go over some of uh, the life lessons from the life of Jacob. Uh, And... uh, uh, as we continue our study from last week on the life of Jacob, uh, we might remember last week that uh, Jacob started his journey into exile with a dream on Mount Moriah. And Jacob's ladder, remember that? The angels ascending and descending upon a heavenly ladder. And that uh, is a symbol of prayer. Our prayers going up and the answer coming down. How many of you thank God for answered prayer? Amen. Amen. Uh, And Jacob realizes at this special encounter uh, that this is a divine calling that he's experiencing between he and the Lord. So he builds an altar, he makes a vow, and he leaves realizing that the mission from Abraham and Isaac that's now been passed down to him has been expanded. With Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. Uh, and your name will be a blessing, all these things from Genesis 12. But it's here that uh, Jacob has the revelation, oh my gosh, uh, I'm going to name this place Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. And it's on this site that he uh, uh, is praying and prophesying, and eventually the temple will be built there. So he's called to build Uh, the house of God, and it'll start, as we see, with the family of God. He becomes uh, the father of the 12 uh, sons, the 12 tribes. So the power of the dream that God gives Jacob here uh, on the Temple Mount runs so deep that it sustains him for 20 years. And this encourages me because, and it probably does you too, because there's been times in your life going way, way back where you know God spoke to you. And it might be 20 years. It could be longer or shorter, but whatever the length of time, that dream is still alive in your heart, and it's a sustaining dream. Amen. And don't let the devil steal that dream. Amen. Uh, And for uh, Jacob, he really needed something to sustain him uh, going into a 20-plus year exile uh, with uh, his uncle Laban. So here he is now. He makes his way to Laban's in Haran. Uh, and the moment that he sees Rachel, it's love at first sight. 
and so he talks to Laban and Laban says, you can have her hand in marriage if you'll work uh, for me for seven years. And of course, seven years to uh, Jacob ends uh, up being like uh, seven weeks. I mean, time goes by quick. Uh, but uh, when the day comes for him to uh, marry Rachel, uh, he finds out how Isaac and Esau feel when he deceives them with the help of his mom, uh, Rivka. He deceives Esau out of a blessing. And now he ends up being deceived out of a blessing because Laban, uh, with uh, Leah and Rachel there, Leah is the one that he actually is married to. I don't know how all of that works. It would have seemed like it. he might have, you know, dude, open your eyes. But deception blinds you, doesn't it? And uh, and so uh, Rachel's older sister Leah uh, somehow impersonates Rachel, and so now Jacob's married to Leah instead of Rachel. And so when the switcheroo happens, uh, he ends up having to serve Laban another seven years before he can marry Rachel. And uh, so as you read this and study this, I mean, it just, you can't help but realize, here's a Bible principle that was true back then, and it's true right now, uh, that uh, you reap what you sow. If you sow deception... Eventually, that's going to boomerang around, and you're going to reap that. It's an ironclad law, this law of sowing and reaping, something you can't get around. And the last thing you want to have happen is have sowing and reaping hit you with the negative side. Right? There's the positive side, and we all want the positive side, and many of us are enjoying the positive side. But what about the negative side? What you do to life, life ends up doing back to you. So if you respect life and love life and honor life and respect the godly principles that have been ordained for us to follow, good things are going to happen. Doesn't mean we're not going to have to wrestle with some stuff and doesn't mean we're going to be exempt from challenges. We'll get to some of that here in just a minute. But uh, you can't outmaneuver sowing and reaping. You're not that good. Galatians 6. Hi, guys. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Who wants to reap everlasting life? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Yeah, and that everlasting life, we're already in eternity. Eternity doesn't happen someday. We're in it right now. 
And so let's get on the right side. And of course, I'm preaching to the choir. So in your best choir voice, sing amen. (laughs) But we live in a day and age right now where lawlessness is on the rise. And even in the church... We kind of want to make up our own rules. No one here would do this. But we want to make up our own rules along the way and get God to wink at our decisions. And we do foolish things and wonder why it happened. And then we either are mad at God or mad at the devil. But never do we look inside of ourselves and ask, is there something that I'm doing that caused this to happen? And so we end up giving God too much of the blame and the devil too much credit instead of looking to ourselves and asking ourselves, are we doing things that are violating the principles of God? And that's where uh, Jacob found himself in deceiving his father Isaac and his brother Esau. And now he's on the wrong end of sowing and reaping. He didn't want it to happen that way, I'm sure. Even after he made his vow. Right? See, so he made the vow on the Temple Mount. God, I'm going to serve you and love you for all of my life. I will fulfill the mission, and I vow to give you 10% of everything. And yet something still happened that was very negative in his life. So <clears throat> I don't know how it all plays out in every situation, but if sackcloth and ashes are uh, in order at various times for some of the mistakes and sins that we've committed, that's okay. Repentance is always a good thing. Amen. But despite what Jacob now has gone through and experienced his own deception, you know, he, he does respond in a very admirable way. He learns to turn this wound into wisdom. And we need to learn that. If we've been wounded and disappointed, if something has happened to us that's taken the wind out of our sails, you know, we need to learn not how to live in that moment. We need to learn by the power of God how to get out of being stuck in that moment and get into the place where we can look back on that with wisdom and say, Father, I learned a good lesson. And as for me and my house, we're not going to repeat the same mistakes. And so he puts his nose to the grindstone He looks like Evander Holyfield after years of boxing. (laughs) We love Evander Holyfield, don't we? What is Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. doing boxing? (laughs) You guys retire from that. (laughs) But Jacob puts his nose to the grindstone. And he works hard. He's not in the best of situations, but he doesn't complain. And God sees that, and then he begins to bless him and bless him richly. 
And, uh, and so I was just thinking about that. And so I typed in and I was looking for some, uh, quotes on this. And, uh, uh, how many of you, uh, recognize the name Booker T. Washington, not Booker T. and the MGs, <laughs> but, but the great inventor and scientist and great American patriot, Booker T. Washington, said, uh, you know, uh, 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 over a century ago, success is to be measured not so much by the position one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome. And when I read that, I said, thank you, Lord. How many of us can testify? We've overcome some things. And the smoke is cleared. And guess what? We're still here. We're still standing. God's not finished with us yet. And we praise the Lord for the strength to overcome some obstacles. Amen. And so this teaches us another important Bible principle in that whatever you do, do it unto the Lord and not unto men. You're not doing it for the praises of men. And even if you're in a difficult situation, even if you uh, have a difficult boss, like uh, Tamara has a difficult boss to work for, She didn't say amen. God bless her. She learned how to turn her wound into wisdom. (laughs) Even though you might be in a, a difficult situation, God will use that situation to test and refine your character. Yeah? And so uh, the sooner that we grapple with whatever's going on and make our peace with that and decide, Lord, you direct my steps. I'm not here by coincidence or accident. Now, I have a dream and a goal, Lord, that you're going to promote me and get me into a different career, a different opportunity. But while I'm here, I'm not going to sulk. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to give half effort. I'm going to go full bore, be a light to the world, and watch how quickly things will change. This is what Jacob did. It motivated him to put a guard on his mouth, to keep his attitude positive, and keep his eye on the real prize. Amen? And this is when we leave the door open for God to supernaturally intervene. Look at what Colossians 2 says in Colossians 2.22. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, capital M, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up for bad work. 
That's the word of the Lord. And somehow, even though Jacob had every right in the world to live a disappointed life, he refused to lose. He refused to give in to that. How many of you have that same kind of spirit? I'm not going to let adversity overrun my life, and I live in a spirit of disappointment. I'm going to live in a spirit of victory because I serve the eternal master the Lord of Lords, and he will eventually work things out. And God will bless you even in unfair situations. And if we remember that, it's really going to help us achieve the success in life that we're looking for. But here's here's the thing. While all of this is playing out, Laban could care less. None of of Jacob's trouble mattered to Laban. And, And this is what you have to realize in life. People aren't at home thinking about your well-being. People are at home thinking about their well-being. And if their well-being means I need to get something out of you, then so be it. For over 20 years, Laban made no real attempt to appreciate or learn from Jacob. He made no effort to reconcile his own life into some kind of reconciliation with Jacob. Even though as time went on, Jacob's presence in Laban's household led to great blessing for Laban. And so Laban was satisfied with his lifestyle, with his philosophy, with his opinion, despite having years and years and years of seeing Jacob work for the Lord of Lords and give his very best. And so this speaks to another important Bible lesson from the life of Jacob, the importance of not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Oh, come on, somebody. And this is where it gets a little testy. And we need discernment. We need sensitivity. We need the counsel of God, the Spirit of God to counsel us in the way we feel and the way we make decisions. Uh, As time goes by, uh, all of us have to discern. Boy, I wish somebody was here to hear this message. As time goes by, we have to discern if family and friends are showing any interest in your godly values and in how you serve the Lord. This is a test. Am I being unequally yoked with people like Laban who could care less about my values, who could care less about my serving the Lord? It's a mistake to emotionally and socially bond to people that could care less about your Bible values. I got one yeah and a couple head nods. But for the benefit of those listening on podcast or on the CD, everybody really believes that. (laughs) 
if people don't share your values, it's going to be very compromising to your faith to try to become emotionally connected with them in some other way beyond just an acquaintance. Have these people ever honored your position on how you feel about Bible issues? Or is it always starting a fight? They're not willing to listen to the godly perspective, your perspective. All they want to do is push back and argue and object. Over time, you need to discern that. And realize that if, if we can't come to terms on the most fundamental part of my life, our life, which is the B-I-B-L-E, that's the, the centerpiece of everything, then we have to uh, uh, redefine the nature of our association. How many of you... Uh, Remember the scripture from Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? This is the principle of can you be uh, unequally yoked with an unbeliever and still prosper? Uh, It doesn't mean you abandon your family, you abandon relationships and become a, a sanctimonious self-righteous, pious, stick in the mud. But it does mean that you do have to reprioritize your loyalties. Because Laban's not going to change. You've been an example for many, many years, a shining light, and no changes... How that has to be handled moving forward is you can't pour your whole soul into that kind of relationship. You need to use that for your family in the house of God. That's where you should be pouring in all of that emotional and spiritual energy into building the kingdom. And for your family, pray. Amen. Pray, pray, pray. Intercede, intercede, intercede. Bind the devil. Uh, Rebuke the blindness, the spiritual blindness, and love them. And avoid getting into all the, uh, the issues that create the conflict. God, it's now above our pay grade. <laughs> God, I'm giving this over to you. I'm casting this care upon you. I know you care for my family. You're not willing that any should perish, but I'm going to take the posture of uh, my loyalties are with the church, with the family of God, and as far as that part of the family, I'm going to love them and pray for them, be cordial to them, but I'm not going to invest all my time, my talent, my treasury into their world at the expense of the bigger prize. And Rachel and Leah actually understand this. And so as God is calling Jacob out of Haran, out of Laban's house, uh, obviously Rachel and Leah are Laban's daughters. But they just had a decision to make. 
Am I going to stay loyal to my father who is rejecting the gospel? Or am I going to stay loyal to my husband who loves the Lord with all of his heart and strength and soul and mind? They had to choose where their loyalties would rest. Look at Genesis 31, verse 14. This whole uh, decision of leaving is discussed uh, in Genesis 31. And Rachel and Leah both responded, that's fine with us. Honey, we're leaving town. We're taking up uh, our mission, going back to Israel, going to serve the Lord, going to build the kingdom. That's fine with us. We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyways. In other words, anything you thought you were going to gain out of your natural family's inherit, you ain't going to get nothing anyways. They're not thinking of you anyways. You're not on the top of the list. Rachel, Leah, verse 15 said, He has reduced our rights to those of foreign women. And some of that's probably going on right now in our own lives with certain relationships. Your rights, your level of importance on what you believe has so slowly been eroded. And that's what's going on here. And after he sold us, he wasted the money you paid him for us. That's an old biblical ancient thing where you, the dowry thing. Verse 16, all the wealth God has given you from our father legally belongs to us and our children. But go ahead and do whatever God has told you. And what did God say? Cut the ties. Burn the ships. Cross the Rubicon. Were you here last week for my sermon? (laughs) And that's how they were able to move forward in their destiny. So you look at some of these things and the soul ties, the emotional ties, uh, however you're connected with things from the world, you, you, you have to redefine what that looks like perhaps. Right? Maybe it's working out great, but uh, uh, for Jacob, for his family, and in so many instances, people's loyalties that lie with people that have invested their life in the world are going to be very disappointed and not move forward in their destiny. But here's kind of the rub. You just don't... uh, go quietly into your next phase or chapter of life when you've been in the clutches of someone like Laban, right? You're just not going to walk away from certain relationships without those people wanting to, like Al Pacino said in The Godfather, I tried to get out, but they pulled me back in. (laughs) Because in reality, Laban knew and his family knew that the reason that they were so blessed was because, not because of them, but because of Jacob. And they didn't want that to end. 
And in fact, the Bible says this in Genesis 30, verse 27. Laban said to Jacob, Please stay if I've found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, Name me your wages. Name your price, Jacob, and I'll give it to you. I kind of get the feeling that's an empty promise. So right in this scenario is when the angel of the Lord speaks to Jacob in another dream and gives Jacob a supernatural idea to outwit Laban. And so... Uh, Jacob makes this crazy deal with Laban to, you know, back then it was to increase your flocks and your herds. And so he says, look, uh, Laban, I'll move in forward if you'll pay me uh, in uh, flocks and herds all the lambs that are born streaked and speckled and spotted. You keep all the purebreds and I'll just take the ones with all the spots and speckles. And Laban thinks, boy, it's more common to birth a lamb that's just, you know, all uh, white. That's the most common. So he thinks he's just getting, he's getting the, I'm pulling the wool over Jacob's eyes, so to speak. But God had other ideas. And God has other ideas for you and I. Man has their plans, but God has other ideas. And that's uh, where we just need to understand where are we drawing our strength and wisdom from? Amen. May it be drawn from on high, from the good book, right? And that's when God uses the power of a dream or a vision or a word from the Lord. And if we're cultivating this Uh, quality of being sensitive. God will guide us. He'll counsel us at the critical moments in our lives. But we have to be the ones to be sure we're putting ourselves in the right atmosphere to hear the voice of the Lord and discern the right course of action. Sometimes you need to test a dream. And just because we have what we think is a dream, a vision, a word from the Lord, uh, the Bible teaches, let every prophecy be judged. Right? So somebody, like uh, uh, off and on at New Beginnings, we've had people that are self-ordained prophets. And they want to catch you in the lobby and give you a word. And that could be good, but it might not be good. Because you have to judge that prophecy. You have to discern that. And sometimes you're going to need the help of somebody to discern that. In fact, when people want to give me a word, oftentimes if if I see someone standing near, I'll call them over. uh, uh, Brother, come over here and stand with me as so-and-so shares this. So that all of a sudden people are hearing this. You should learn to do the same. And especially if it's a life-changing thing. God is saying you should sell everything you have, give the money to me, and move to Alaska. 
and crazier things that I met this guy on the internet. I've seen it happen multiple occasions. And the next thing you know, somebody's uh, just abandoning their whole life here in the church and they're moving to another state only to find out it wasn't what we thought. So... A dream is a good thing. A vision is a good thing. A word from the Lord is a good thing because it gives you direction. It also gives you incentive. All right? Here's an example of that in 1 Kings 3 when God um, uh, is speaking to Solomon. He appears to Solomon in a dream and says, Solomon, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Uh, Lord, we'll take that kind of dream uh, tonight. (laughs) Solomon chose wisely because he chose wisdom, knowledge, and understanding over wealth and riches. And God said, because you chose wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, I'm going to give you both. Praise God. A dream determines your priorities. If God has spoken to you and you know that you know that you know that it's the Lord, then that should drive your decision making. That should drive your priorities. Because you may have to, and uh, this leads us to another point, a dream isn't a guarantee. A prophecy doesn't guarantee anything. But it does show us what's possible. And so once you see the dream, you hear the, you hear the dream, you see the vision, all of a sudden, I'm making decisions that drive me closer to uh, what I believe the Holy Spirit. This is what you need to do to make that possible. And you work towards it as Jacob worked hard towards it. So I'm believing right now, look, it's the new year coming quickly. And now is the time to be thinking about what God wants to do through our lives in 2021. There's ministry things, right? There's business things. There's career things. There's income things. There's charitable giving things. There's relationship things that we've talked about. And we need to be letting the Lord stir in us. What should be my priorities and my decision-making as I head into the new year? Father, loosen upon us that wisdom, that counsel, that knowledge, that understanding over my life, my family, my finances, my health. And in doing that, it may end up being that if there's a Laban in your life, no offense to anybody whose last name is Laban, Remember the Labans in uh, Portland at the uh, Milwaukee Church? Paul and Cindy Laban and my son played football with Jason Laban. If you happen to be listening, Labans, this, this isn't about you. So we may have to cut some ties. So here we have now Jacob is heading back to Israel, fantastically wealthy. Come on, Lord. 
And the roots of his financial success can actually be traced all the way back to the blessing Isaac laid upon him, the blessing that he and Rivka uh, deceived Esau and Isaac over. The blessing of Esau is on Jacob. Rivka and Jacob, Yaakov, made, two, uh, made a big mistake in not understanding that Isaac had more than one blessing. We can't get into all that. We've taught that in previous years. There was more than one blessing to give. One was a kingly financial blessing of abundance, and the other one was a spiritual priestly blessing to lead the family mission uh, that God had ordained through Abraham. They thought Isaac just had one blessing, so they were determined to steal it from Esau. And they did. Because Isaac laid hands on Jacob and pronounced Esau's blessing. And Esau's blessing was the material blessing. He also got the spiritual blessing too. So he got a double dose. But he was only meant to get one. But now he's got both. And in fact, this is what the wrestling match is all about in today's Torah study. Just before Jacob re-enters the promised land, how many of you remember the story? He's on the banks of the river, and he's there alone, and uh, suddenly this mysterious encounter happens where he finds himself in a wrestling match with someone. Something's going on there. And in effect, uh, in uh, ancient Jewish wisdom, Jacob is really wrestling with his destiny. He's got two blessings in him. One is a material blessing, the blessing for kings to produce wealth. The other one is a spiritual anointing to lead the family spiritually in the ways of God. And one of those two blessings is going to dominate his life moving forward. And so the wrestling match that's going on is symbolic of having to struggle with what manner of man are you going to become, Jacob? Are you going to be the man out of Laban's world? Or are you going to be the man out of Isaac and Abraham's world? What anointing is going to dominate your life? Now, God wants him to wrestle with this so that he will go back into Israel out of exile, have all the boys, the 12 tribes, and build a nation out of that. So he needs Jacob to settle something and not be in a struggle over, it's okay to put spiritual things over material things. And in Genesis 32, 24, it speaks that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. That's Sam calling. We'll get to you in just a minute, Sam. But Jacob isn't actually wrestling physically. This is the teaching. He's wrestling spiritually within himself. 
And the deeper truth here is that uh, many believe, many rabbis believe that when it says Jacob was alone but wrestled with a man, how can you be alone and wrestle with a man? Unless you're wrestling within yourself. Struggling to determine what kind of man I had become in Laban's house and what God had always wanted me to become. So Isaac not only blessed Jacob with that spiritual blessing, he was also blessed with an anointing to prosper. That's that kingly anointing. So now before he resumes the mission, he's got to wrestle between these two anointings. Which one's going to dominate? Because you can't serve two masters. How many of you remember that scripture from Jesus in Matthew 6.24? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in riches. Doesn't mean you can't be rich. But there is a wealth that comes from the Lord that adds what? No sorrow with it. So this is what Jacob has to settle. And it's what oftentimes Christians need to settle. Who has the greater share of my loyalty? Am I more loyal to everything I cultivated living in the world, i.e. living in Laban's house? Or now as a new creation in Christ, and uh, now that I have a new family in Christ, are my loyalties there first and foremost. And so God uses this for Jacob to reflect on his motives. What's your agenda? And have the years with Laban made you more like Esau than you would like to believe? So even to this day, Many, many years into Christianity, there's still parts of our personality we're wrestling with because we're still working out our salvation. We're still learning how to become more like Christ. And there's parts of our nature, our personality, our character that we have to struggle and wrestle with. Not everything is sinister and malicious and evil. But it could be. That's the whole family curses teaching. So we're learning to sort out the anointings that God have put in us. Think about this. The things that shape the personality that you have right now, were all of those things shaped in your life and my life while we were in Laban's house or in God's house? Think about that. Right? What kind of person would you possibly have been if you were raised in the church all of your life, filled with the Holy Ghost at a very early age, and grew up loving and honoring and respecting and admiring the things of God since you were a child? What kind of person would you be today? Maybe some of you live that way. Now, I, I did not live that way. I didn't make a commitment to Christ until I was 30 years old. So 
what I'm getting at and what Jacob has to address is that many things that are driving your personality right now might be things that were formed in a negative way in Laban's house. Can you see that? There's things that can be embedded, lodged in it like a thorn in the flesh that still trouble and vex us to this very day, even though we've been serving God for many, many years. In reality, we're in Christ now. Hallelujah. That's the true reality. We're new creations. And our identity right now is no longer based on anything that happened pre-Christ. Even though it may still be affecting us, we need to learn that new creation reality. I have a new beginning. All that old stuff has passed away. I have become a new creation in Jesus Christ. And my identity isn't just based on my upbringing, my nationality, my personality, or my past experiences. And this is where a lot of times the wrestling comes in because we haven't been taught how to sort that through and how to pray that through. You pray that through by understanding breaking family curses as a huge example. Father, I bind and break that spirit of religion, that spirit of deception in my life and in my family, any family curse that's been passed down through our uh, spiritual DNA. I bind and rebuke that. I renounce that now and I loosen the spirit of Christ and I loosen the qualities of Christ in my life. And then lather, rinse, and repeat for many, many years. (laughs) So we've all done this to some degree, right? We've all been in the wrestling match, right? Uh, But just like Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr., 50-year-olds in the ring, there's probably, we're still going to have to get in the ring a time or two. There's still a couple rounds to go. But thanks be to God, we're victorious, amen? We're the overcomer, and greater is he that's in you and I than anything that we're wrestling against in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. One of the rewards for being victorious is that Jacob got a new name out of the deal. He went from Jacob to Israel. And Israel means prevailing. So he went from being a known as the deceiver from being the prevailer. What a transformation. And there's so much more that we could teach on this, but this is uh, uh, something that Rashi explained. He said, it's no longer going to be said of Jacob that the blessing came to him through deceit, but rather through prevailing. 
right? So there's God moving to wipe away the past and take it, the sin, as far as the east is from the west. But think about this. In most of the Bible, moving forward, we don't call him Israel. We still call him Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's so many instances uh, in Scripture where uh, the, the, the uh, word is Jacob and not Israel. Why is that? If he had this encounter and he was victorious and he wrestled with himself and made the right decision about his loyalties and priorities and destiny, how does he still uh, get called Jacob? Why isn't he more often than not called Israel? I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) Because it's a reminder that what God does in our lives and how he helps us work out our salvation, we're a work in progress. It's like the business slogan that the road to success is always under construction. And God is saying, even though you're Israel... You'll be known as Jacob more often than not to send a message to future generations that there's always work to do. There's always something we can do to improve ourselves and position ourselves for the power, the blessing, and the rewards of God. And so let's continue to prevail. Let's continue to walk in victory because we're more than conquerors in Jesus' name. Can you say amen this morning? If you receive that, give the Lord a hand.